Amen. Well, God is good today, isn't he? He's good today. He was good yesterday. Even though the Aggies lost, there's no bearing on God's nature. Um, <clears throat> but I'm proud of our team, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, again, just thanks for showing up this morning. Um, it's way more fun to have the whole family here worshiping together, together in fellowship um, than just three or four of us. So thanks for making that part of today. Um, my name is Tyler Harden, the lead pastor here at Antioch, and we are going to be continuing a series we started called Him and Them. And today is week three of that series. I want to start out by just asking a simple question. You know, um, have you ever sat around a campfire with friends? It could have been on a retreat. It could have been uh, a last night or hanging out. And you all of a sudden find yourself talking and it gets to about 11 or 12 o'clock and you start saying things you were not planning on saying. You're like, did that just come out of me? You know, you know, if you go back to high school, it could be like, which boy, or which girl you liked? Oh, I just told everybody that, you know, um, or that could have been in college, right? Or, um, or it could be, wow, I just kind of opened up the Pandora's box in like the last 10 years of my life. I can't believe I told you guys that. And, you know, and so something happens when you get around and you just start having interaction, face-to-face conversations, storytelling, your heart wants to like open up. Like, we want to actually open up, and we want to be known, and others want to be known, and we want to, we, we want to be known, we want them to be known, and, and th- there's something that God has put in us that has a desire just to kind of open up, right? But there's something called sin in the world, and sin is always attached to negative things, and one of those things is that instead of opening up, instead of relating to each other, it actually wants to divide, actually wants to separate actually wants to um, uh, make us create, uh, it, it wants us to be, to be distanced from each other, to be estranged, if you will, as a family. I'm a firm believer that one of the enemy's plans is to divide and to, um, and to create disunity amongst churches, amongst leaders, amongst brothers and sisters, amongst families. And he's doing a pretty good job at that around the world. But the God's plan A and desire is that we would be united, that we would come together, that love is what, is, is what would bind us, love in Jesus, that like Jesus is the centerpiece to how we actually pull this thing off. Because in this room, there's actually a lot of characters, right? I mean, look to your right and left. They're a character. Like there's, there's a personality. There's a roommate. There's a family member. You're like, wow, I'm not even sure how we became friends. You know, because we actually don't like the same food. We don't like, oh, yeah, we're in a life group together. We're worshiping Jesus. And remember that time you shared something. I walked with you something through, through a hard season in your life. You walked with me, and now we're buddies. It's like what binds us is when we open up and when we share our hearts, that is what real community is. That's what real community is. And so today that's what we're talking about. We are talking about community because we were meant to live life on life. We were meant to have life on life relationships meant to be close together. So what does that community look like or what, what could it look like, right? <clears throat> well, week one of the series, we, so we kicked off him and then we talked about just God and, and Adam and Eve in the garden and kind of what happened there and the sin separated mankind from God and therefore now created this huge gap that we couldn't cross. 
until God's great rescue plan of sending his son Jesus to the earth about 2,000 years ago to live a perfect life, become the ultimate sacrifice, die on a cross, and then be risen from the grave. That story, that, that part of the whole part of the God's rescue plan allows the promises to be filled, which is that every person from everywhere, all over the world, has the opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord, to be saved, to be rescued, to be transformed, be forgiven of your sins. Week one is about God restoring a relationship with us where we get to be adopted into his family. But then as we go from there, it's not just about getting into the kingdom. It's actually about getting to know the king. It's about getting to know his ways and his nature and his heart, which is why we talk about a devotional life. You've got to create space in your life one-on-one time where you're able to engage him and engage his heart. This is really helpful, this environment. And your life group is really helpful as an environment. And your family environment, your roommates. But there's gotta be something where you are prioritizing your relationship with God and saying, no, I'm actually gonna get into your word. I'm gonna get in your presence through worship. I'm actually gonna pray. I'm gonna ask what's on your heart because I don't know what to pray. So I'm gonna ask you, what do I pray for? Who do I pray for? How do I pray? And that he will guide you through that. And as you make that part of your everyday life, as you make that part of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden you start getting more grounded. You start feeling more secure, not insecure. You start having this place of confidence with the Lord throughout the rest of your life, which means no matter what season you're in, singleness, married, engaged, you know, dating, you've got two kids, you got 25 kids, you're a grandparent, you're a teenager, every season of life, guess what? You can be grounded and secure and hopeful in him and not in your circumstances. Circumstances will never be amazing on planet earth. Sorry, just that, that, that's a killjoy, right? They'll be amazing in heaven, but not here. You can embrace the things you're in and love it, enjoy it, but they're not gonna be perfect. And so if we keep hoping for that, man, our hope's in the wrong place. But if we hope in him, because he is safe, he is constant, then that's the place to put our hope. And so we talked about creating a devotional life with God. So what's it look like to be in this community that God's calling us to? So talking about him and then we're going to kind of shift into the them part of this series. So I want you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter two. And as we get there, I just want to share a bit of context for us going into this passage we're about to read in Acts 42, or 2, 42 through 47. If you remember Jesus, he rose from the grave. He then appeared to many different people and to his disciples in Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says this to him. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the disciples are like, Jesus, wait, you're leaving us? He's like, yes, but it's actually a good thing. And by the way, I'm going to put power upon you. And then, and only then you can go and be my witnesses. Now, if you flip into Acts chapter two, the next chapter, you see kind of a wild scene open up, right? So there the disciples are with, with about 120 people, the faithful followers. There they are hanging out in the second or third story of this town home in downtown Jerusalem. All right? So there they are, and they're together, they're a little nervous, but they're, okay, hey, let's remember the stories of Jesus. We're not alone. He's, he told us, remember, he's going to send us the Holy Spirit, so we don't really know what that's going to look like, but here we are. They're probably worshiping, hanging out, and next thing you know, this wild scene opens up on the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes down in a very strange way, and tongues of fire floating around the room, which is very peculiar. I've never seen that, right? But can I just say, God's not in the business of just doing things that you've seen. 
He's the creator, by the way. You weren't even seen before you were born. He saw you before you came out. So God's really good at that. He's good at doing things that actually we've never seen or experienced before because he's the creator of God and we are not. And so here he shows up and guess what? They're not just the tongues of fire that are very bizarre, but they're actually coming upon the different people in the room and people start then uttering and start speaking a language they do not know. By the way, Rosetta Stone was not around back then. Okay, there wasn't some sort of cheap way to learn a language. or just a, a quick, easy answer. It was boom, power in a moment. The people began speaking languages. And you know, you've got to imagine, I've never been in this environment before, but imagine it's like 15 plus languages being spoken and everyone's like yelling really loudly at the same time. It'd be kind of hard to hear. And it would sound chaotic. It almost sound like fire, fire, fire. Like, wow, there's something crazy down there on 4th Street in Jerusalem. Let's go. So about 3,000 people thought it was curious enough to show up, it says, to this little townhome circling this house, like, what is going on in there? And so Peter, being the good preacher he is, he's like, 3,000 people showed up and said, what's going on around here? We can hear everybody speaking our language. And in fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, it says there's over 15 languages that are being spoken because people from these different regions, different nationalities came and were like, hey, you're a Jew. How are you speaking my language? And these people are talking about the things of God and the glory of God and the life of Jesus. And they're sharing. And people are like, what, how can I, I can't believe I'm hearing this right now. It's this bizarre, miraculous moment in time is happening. And you know, I point this out because I want you to see something. <laughs> Acts chapter two is where the New Testament church is birthed. And I want you to see that at its inception, the New Testament church was a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, not segregated, not divided group of people from different nations, by the way, who probably were not hanging out just hours before. They came because the gospel came and they received the gospel. They got transformed and said over 3,000 people got saved that day in that moment. The church was not a segregated, denominated deal. It was people coming to Jesus. And by the way, the very first church was a mega church. Uh-oh. <laughs> right? By the way, we're not a mega church, but at 2,000, we will be. We're getting pretty close. Can I just say, it's not about how big or small the church is. There's small churches I would not want to go near. And there's big churches I would not want to go near. And there's big churches and small churches I would love to go to. And, the, and all these churches are trying to figure it out with God. It's not about the size, all this sort of stuff. It's about the heart. You have 3,000 people coming who are very confused by this crazy scene. And somehow they're like, I'm in with Jesus. You're right. I need to repent. It's this crazy scene. But that's how the church is birthed. Why do I say that? Because just next door to this building, about two and a half miles that way, there's a university that draws in 68,000 people from all over Texas. By the way, that would be 254 counties, 1,031 school districts, and the other 49 states in the union, which we bless them as well, and 123 nations. We see 15 languages being spoken here in Acts 2. There could have been more, but that's what's cited. It doesn't say 123. We actually have an opportunity greater than the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 to have that kind of church. And by the way, people are flocking to this town to go to that school every year from everywhere. We don't even have to pay for them to come here. They just come. 
Their government pays for them. They pay for themselves. They come, and these are brilliant people coming for PhDs, for masters, undergraduates. Look, let's be honest. I cannot get into A&M today, but I don't care about that. I got in back in 01. I don't need to get in today. I got back in then, right? It is an amazing university, an amazing place, but this is the melting pot. We have the opportunity to be this New Testament church. Multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-personality, multi-everything. And you know what's great about that? Here's what's so interesting. The very first church, Jesus starts the very first church this way, just the same way he's going to end it. In heaven, it says, Matthew 24, 14, that all may know, that all may hear, every tribe, tongue, and nation. We know the scriptures. Heaven's not going to be a segregated place. It's not by nationality, by race, by how wealthy or poor you are. (laughs) Heaven's going to kind of look like that. These 3,000 were probably a mixture of all walks of life. But they came what? They came because they were hungry. For the message. They're hungry for something more. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Whether you've read this before, this is the first time you've heard it. I want you to see something. This is a snapshot, a summary of the early church. What just happened? What just happened? The day of Pentecost happened. 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus and said, what do we do now? And all of a sudden, they started gathering as the church. So this is like the first church right here. What is the church like? This is biblical church. So let's unpack this for a minute. They had teaching and fellowship, right? Which to me means they were devoted to the word of God and the people of God. They saw both as highly valued. You got to be in a relationship with people and you got to be devoted to God. You got to know him and you got to know them right? I mean, that's from the beginning. So anyone that says, I love Jesus, I'm all about Jesus, that's amazing, and they're not part of a fellowship, is off. Because it doesn't say they just devoted themselves to the word of God and lived in a cave. They lived in fellowship. Which, by the way, fellowship's hard. Having a relationship with God is actually not hard because he's perfect, we're not, and it's, hey, God, help me out. He's never going to wrong you. He's never going to say anything wrong. People, it gets a little messy, Right? They devoted themselves, though, to the word of God, to the people of God. It says they were breaking, they were breaking bread. That's the Lord's Supper. That's not just you having a big loaf of bread, hanging out with your buddies. It's taking the Lord's Supper. That's what that means. Why do we provide the Lord's Supper every Sunday in the back on these little tables? Because we want to give you the opportunity, if you want to take it, to take the Lord's Supper. What do I do every Sunday? Every Sunday during the 9 a.m., I go back there during worship, and I take the Lord's Supper. Why? Because I do not want to get up here and preach without my heart being clean, without being reminded of the fact that I'm only breathing and alive because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave and is allowing me to live. I take it to remind myself, Tyler, you are nothing without him. So whatever you're going to say, it better come from a clean heart. If you had an argument with your wife or you got a flat tire on the way to church, you better get over it right here. Face Jesus before you get up there. 
I would encourage you to consider taking the Lord's Supper, make it part of your life, not as a ritualistic thing, but as a place of meaning and value. Say, Jesus, your blood was poured out for me. Wow. By the way, there's no forgiveness attainable without you sacrificing your life. Remind me that again, Lord. Let's not be ungrateful followers of Jesus. So they were taking the Lord's Supper. They were praying. They were committed to praying for each other, interceding for others, interceding for what God was doing. There's a sense of awe, it says. You know, the sense of awe can be described in many different ways. We've encountered it just in times of worship. Even just the moment we just had a minute ago, that wasn't planned. That wasn't in the script for us to all get down our knees and to get before Jesus. But the spirit of God was just like leading Chris to lead us in that way. And so we just went for it. There's a sense of awe of like, yes, Jesus, you are king. We surrender our lives to you again. But also it happened in our staff meeting a couple weeks ago. We have staff meetings every Monday morning and we were talking and I just said, hey, let's have a few people share testimonies. I'm thinking one or two, you know, and we're like 30 minutes into this. We're on to like nine or 10. And I'm like, guys, we got to cut it off. I mean, at some point we got to get back to work. I mean, you know, and we just keep sharing and the testimonies kept getting bigger and better. We're like, wow. And I'm sitting there listening to myself. I'm listening to everyone sharing. I'm thinking, wow. Next one. Wow. 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 You know, and just, you start. And, and so let me just help you out. You know, it's a sense of awe when you start saying, wow, often, right? When you're reading the Bible, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Have you seen this? You know, you just... You get so excited. I'm not a blogger, but I'm going to start blogging now. Have you read this? Has anyone else seen this? Right? That's the awe. It's like, yes, God is coming on you. It's okay to get excited about God. So whoever told you not to be emotional, does not know what they're talking about. God, it's very emotional. Read the Bible. It's all through it. We are made in his image. Get excited about God. I was excited last night, my son watching the game late while everybody else in the house is sleeping. We were high-fiving, although missing each other. We were like, yes, we scored. We were excited, you know? It was fun. It's exciting. It's okay to enjoy things in life. It's okay to actually get excited about God and enjoy him. And when there's a time of worship in place of reverence or it's a place to celebrate what God's doing in testimonies, we want to have this place of awe happening in our midst. It says there's wonders and signs being done. I don't have time to share the countless stories, but let me just say this summer, a lot of our teams or a lot of our people that went over to Southeast Asia to minister for the entire summer, they saw God move in mighty ways and signs and wonders. And many of them would tell you that sometimes the only way that someone would actually have the breakthrough who is Hindu or who is Muslim is because God showed up and did a miracle and they were just dumbfounded by what just happened. And they said, you gotta tell me more about this Jesus. He can do this kind of stuff? Yes, he can. (laughs) So the signs and wonders of people, you're not on board with that, that's great. Let me just say, it's for us to point back to the person giving us that. It's not like, look at me, look at this cool thing, your leg just got healed. It's like, did you know who just touched you? Jesus did. He's in the business of healing people. Remember, he touched lepers. He's still doing that today. He's healing them. He's not getting sick from them. He's healing them. God is interested in that. And I'm telling you, breakthroughs are happening in our city. There are people that are experiencing signs and wonders and things when you're like, wow, I don't really understand that. But that's a good thing. You don't have to understand everything that God is doing. We just want to point it back to him. The believers were together and had all things in common. The way to put it is that our possessions, we need to be less possessive of them, right? We need to be less territorial. I'm not asking you guys to bunk up with 95 people. You know, and let's just share a big, no, I'm not asking you to do that. 
But I am asking that we would consider everything that we have, when you understand that everything that I actually have from my car, to my job, to my shoes, to my life, is because God's provided that in some way, shape, or form. When you start thinking, I did it, that's on me, I saved that, I bought that, I purchased that, I got that job, that's a scary road, I don't want to follow you down. Say that all day long, all it takes is just one move, and it's like, oh, it all got taken away from me. Yeah, it's because you kept just saying it's yours. Just say, no, it's his. I get to use it, <laughs> right? It's, it's his house, I, but I get to live in it. Other people can come over. I want to make use of it. I want to be people that have a giving heart. They're allowed to say, man, what's mine is yours, and let's work together and help each other. They're selling possessions to distribute to those who had need. I love this. If you're part of a life group around here, you know that we like to do secret giving at times. And just so you know, it's not like we're like in a staff meeting. Okay, guys, it's secret giving week. We've never done that. All life groups, pick someone out and secretly get to, No, we don't do that. You guys just do it. Because you see the need and you say, this is biblical. This is what we're about. And you do it. I remember my first time experiencing this in our life group back in Waco. We're about a year into our marriage. And uh, Ashley and I just started leading this, this young adult life group. And this young man came in our life group and really had a real broken past. No family support. No nothing had just recently got a job, was kind of homeless for a while, had just gotten a job, and, um, and he didn't have any transportation. So he took the city buses, but the city buses were kind of delayed at times, and so he was getting late to work and different things. And one of the guys in our life group called me and said, hey, man, <clears throat> I want to get this guy a car. I said, okay. He said, our life group needs to do it. We can do it. I said, okay. I said, well, you, you run point. And so he went and worked with these dealership stuff, and he found like a used car for $5,000 or something. And um, <clears throat> he goes and he, he's got it secured. And so we started raising money. And you know, it's just really fun when you know someone has a need and they're about to get that need met, but they don't know it. So fun. Like, how's your week? Man, it's so horrible. I don't have a car. Man, that's really tough. You know, it's just, it's like really fun. I can't pay my bills. Not too bad. So sad. You know, it's just, um, but we got the next three months covered. You know, I mean, that's so fun. So we were getting so excited. I remember I had this Xbox. I don't know why I had an Xbox, but I did. And so I looked at it one day and I was like, you're gone. And so I took the Xbox, the games, the controllers. I'm marching into the mall, and I'm like, I'm going to make some money on this thing. Before I even get to the game store, some dude walks up, and he's like, are you selling that? I said, sure. And he said, 250 I said, I'll take it. So I just gave me the Xbox, gave me the money, and I'm out of there, right? And it's awesome. I'm like, here's my 250 you know? And so it was so fun because this guy, we had this big plan on a Sunday after the service to kind of gather in the foyer. We're all going to go to lunch together. And so Kyle got the car, and he, like, drove it up around the front of the church. And we're like, hey, guys, let's all make sure we're together. And some guys want to leave. No, no, stay here. And this, this, this young guy we're trying to bless. And so we walk out, and Kyle walks out, and he's standing by the car. And, and we got this sign and stuff. But, you know, the guy walks in. He didn't even, he didn't even register what's happening. And uh, we're like, Kyle, is that a new car? He's like, no, it's not my car, you know, and kind of hamming it up. And he still doesn't know what's going on. And Kyle walks up. He gives him the keys. And this is yours, man. And he didn't like cry at the moment. He was just like stunned, like deer in headlights. Like, what? What just, what just happened? Because this guy didn't have any family. He had no one blessing him. He had no one taking care of him. And in this life group, he had known for three or four months. So, you know what? We're going to give and sacrifice to make something happen for you. I love that. That's in the heart of God. That's why people were looking at the early church like there's something happening there. There are so many of those stories in our own church that have happened. I can't even share them all. The amount of money and stuff that's been blessed and given is crazy. And that's what makes this place special. You guys are givers. I want to continue to do that. 
It says they were gathering at the temple courts and meeting house to house. For us, that is meeting house to house is meeting in life groups in someone's home or apartment. That's actually biblical to meet every week in a small group. That's what they were doing. And to gather there at the temple courts was, this is kind of our temple courts. This is like the central gathering point for everybody to get together for fellowship, to worship, for a place for that. And so that's what we do. That's why we gather on Sundays and that's why we gather house to house. You ever wondered? It is biblical. Moving on. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. I love this part. And this is why, because this church is happening. When the church is happening, when it's actually functioning the way it's supposed to function, guess what? There's an overflow that starts happening out into the streets. If it happens well here, it happens in the streets. They were praising God, which means everything good that was happening, they're like, yes, thank you, God. Like, yes, thank you, Lord. This is, this is your doing, not our hands, not because we're crafty or very strategic. This is what you are doing. And you know, when you start lifting his name up for everything that's going on, it just starts spilling out into the streets. And I love that because guys, that is, that is our heart. Because they were experiencing a him and them culture. It's about God. We're going to bless people. We're going to have fellowship. And when that is right, there's something to give away to the people. And let me just say, I'm not so sure we need to have a big evangelistic outreach nationwide. I don't think that's needed if every single Christian and every single church just said, we're actually going to be the church. (laughs) You wouldn't actually have to go out knocking doors. They'd be knocking on your door. Think about that. When you have something that is so attractive, let's call it Jesus. Did you see Jesus going around petitioning? Hey guys, I've got this big sermon planned out here on the hill by the sea. Please come two o'clock tomorrow. You want to come? Please come. Come on. It's going to be fish and bread there. No, Jesus didn't go market himself. You know why? Because his lifestyle was what was marketing. He was so full of joy, healing people, blessing children, touching the lepers, talking to the poor, bringing the tax collectors over for lunch. And they were like, there is something crazy about this guy, but I want more. I'm attracted to it. Guys, if we live this out, that's our evangelism. (laughs) It's attractive. And that means that your life spills over. It means when you are talking to a coworker over a cup of coffee, it just kind of comes out of you. Man, what's going on in your life? Man, can I pray for you? Hey, can I share with you a story of, man, I had to repent and do this stuff. Were you repentant? What did you say? I mean, just, it's different. When you start just getting more enamored with Jesus and who he is and the people of God, you start pulling together, stuff happens. We live in a nation that's very divided and, and not united at times. But that should not be the church. Yeah. We should be the polar opposite of the world. Wow, you guys are like way together. Maybe a little two together. Great, I'll take that, Right? I'll take, wow, you guys are so connected and united and for each other. Like, I'll take that knock. That sounds awesome. That's what we want. That's the kind of thing. When you do that, you have favor with the people in the land. And lastly, it says, the Lord added to the number day by day, meaning people were saved. It just says they were living life. And then people all of a sudden started being drawn in and getting Jesus. This is our heart as a church. But I want you to know something. Um, This community can't happen if there's not two things happening. Like this community won't really exist or won't last because there's two non-negotiables that go with it. The first one is you got to be vulnerable. You got to be vulnerable. Vulnerability either opens or closes a door and you can choose. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see what he's saying? He's quoting Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in my weakness. Jesus is saying that. Paul's saying, okay, Man, the weaker I get in that sense, the more I humble myself, the more you come alive, the more you flow in me, through me, and out of me. You see, Paul, as he's writing this, Paul was, was, was like the king of Pharisees. He calls himself like, like one of the chief Pharisees. Paul, before he met Jesus, man, he was strong. He was anointed. He was gifted. He was very prideful, right? He was a, he was a great leader amongst his people. But then what happened? He got knocked off his horse or donkey. He met Jesus, got his life transformed and said, hold on a second. This life's not about me. It's actually about you. It's actually about him and them. It's actually about fulfilling your plans and desires, not mine. And so then Paul got his life changed. Paul got transformed from the inside out. And when you do, all of a sudden you see that your life, you're now a vessel. God, all that I am is yours. It's that song we just sang. Lord, crush me, break me, whatever you got to do. I just want to do your will. I'm just in for you. But that means you've got to be open and honest. You've got to be vulnerable. If you read the writings of Paul, he was a pretty vulnerable, open, honest guy. He would, he would call you out and challenge you, and he'd humble himself and admit things. You know, this may make us awkward, too, because um, I know in a room this size, many of us, we've been vulnerable with someone, family member or friend or someone, and it's, it's hurt us. Like, you were open and honest. You shared something that was dark from your past or even just something you're currently wrestling through, and they shamed you. I just want to say that was a church leader. That is not God's heart, and you got to forgive them. If someone shamed you, if someone just wrote you off, instead of saying, you know, you're coming, I want to forgive you, let's move forward, let's work on this, I'm sorry. That should not be associated with the church. That is associated with the world. What you can expect from the world a lot of times is when you come clean and honest, there's pain, there's retribution, there's judgment, there's hurt. But in the church, there should be the complete opposite of that. Jesus modeled that for us. People came to him. They were deep sinners. They had their lives, and he loved them. He said, okay, go and sin no more. I believe in you. I trust you. Here's power. Go. He loved them. He called people up to who they were made to be. I remember in one of our life groups years ago, we're like worshiping or whatever. We're getting to the, towards the end of our time. And Ashley just shares, like starts repenting for something. I don't remember what it was. And honestly, my initial reaction is like, I can't believe she's saying this, you know, um, because I'm a little more private. I'm like, oh, I don't, and the whole group, I mean, one-on-one with a buddy, sure. But okay, it's, it's, it's out there now, you know. And uh, she just started repenting for something. And what happened was that within the next few minutes, multiple people in her life just started repenting. She didn't say, who else needs to repent? <laughs> she just said, here's my life. I'm coming clean. Others began to come clean. You know what that did? That drew our life group closer. Yeah. Which in our logic, though, it's like, oh, that should divide everybody. You said what? You did what? Draws you closer. Why? Because there's a humility associated with the repentance. It's humility associated with being open, honest, not pride. When that is the heart, when that's the attitude, oh man, that draws you close. That draws you close to each other. So vulnerability is, is key when it comes to this community. The second thing I want to share, the last thing is this, forgiveness. You've got to be willing to be open, honest with your life, be vulnerable, and you've got to be willing to forgive. There's kind of three things about forgiveness, though, you've got to know, which is one, asking for forgiveness is different than receiving forgiveness is different than giving forgiveness. Asking, receiving, and giving. You may be thinking, wow, I'm good at all three. Or actually, check that. 
I'm actually good at one of those. Because I actually have the complete package. You've got to actually understand all three have to be working. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. Not some. Not partial. So when we discipline our kids, we have to train ourselves to say, after their consequences, we say, you know what? I love you. I forgive you. And we are moving on. I'm not hanging this over your head for the rest of the week, the rest of the day, or for the next month, or for the next six months. Remember that time? Maybe you were naughty that day, you know? I mean, but like that's how some of us are treated. Oh, you're out. You've been blacklisted now because you had a mistake. But no, we train them to say, look, we're going to deal with it. You got to come clean. There's a relationship here that's been broken. We got to restore that through forgiveness. But teach them to ask. And so we teach our kids to, after every time, to say, Daddy, will you forgive me? I want them to say those words because I want them to get the Father's heart, which is for me to say, yes, I do. I forgive you. You don't give the consequences to say, go on with your day. You miss the whole huge step in the heart of God. It's, wow, I made a mistake. I chose something that's wrong. Will you forgive me? Because only relationships are stored when forgiveness is given. Remember, Jesus didn't die just to have us a happy life. He died for the forgiveness of sins. So until you're forgiven, you actually can't be restored. It works the same way with us, guys. There's bitterness potentially in this house of something that's happened to you, someone in this room, a past pain, or you've done something to someone, you've got to ask for forgiveness. The second thing is this, you've got to receive forgiveness. When we receive it, it's not just in our head, it's actually in our heart. <laughs> Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You actually have to receive the free gift of forgiveness, which by the way, they don't have to give it to you, but when someone does forgive you, you have to be willing to receive it. But some of us, like me, over a lot of my life, I had a hard time receiving forgiveness because I wanted to beat myself up about it. Just do better, Tyler. Just get it right. No, I'm not going to really perceive that. I need to be like in timeout for six months because I really blew it. And so then you beat yourself up, which another way of saying is self-pity. So then you realize, wait a second, I'm partnering with the enemy because he's the king of self-pity. There's no self-pity in God, by the way, but there is in darkness. Then you're like, you're trying to like be like, oh, I'm a real tough man here. I'm just not going to let myself. Live. Oh, no, no, no. Because you see, receiving forgiveness is letting yourself off the hook. Some of us got to let ourselves off the hook. You're on the hook. You have the choice to get off it. That's receiving. The last one about forgiveness is this, to give it. Giving forgiveness. Colossians 3, 13 says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Explicit command. So the Lord's forgiven you, you got to forgive. Withholding forgiveness really only hurts one person. It hurts the person who's unwilling to give it. And that creates bitterness. And that's like a poison that you drink that only hurts you throughout your whole body. So if receiving forgiveness is letting yourself off the hook, giving forgiveness is letting someone else off the hook. And I would argue that's the hardest one. And I just want to say that sometimes you can give forgiveness to someone, but they won't actually forgive you back. Could be a family member, a parent maybe, 
you've forgiven them for the way they treated you, but they're not there yet. That's hard. Because you know what? You can't control people. <laughs> you only control what you do. Saying, I'm going to forgive them. They still hate my guts. <laughs> I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to forgive them. They haven't apologized yet. I'm going to forgive them. They're still acting that way. I'm going to forgive them. And if you can't get there, let me give you one example as we get ready to close today. Band, make your way up here. Jesus on the cross. He's hanging, dying in his last few moments. What does he say? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Did you know he wasn't just talking about the few Roman soldiers that were mocking him? Or even just the few Jews that had their arms crossed, hoping he's really going to pay for it? Speaking to us. Father, forgive them. All of them. For they know not what they do. Guys, we've done so many things. Others have done so many things. And the last thing we need to do is hold on to that as a grudge or hold on to unforgiveness. It'll kill you in the end. It'll kill relationships. It'll kill community. I want us to stand as we close today. Another way to describe forgiveness is, um, is choosing to not hold someone's sin against him or her anymore. You're really letting them go. So as we close today, I want you to know something. That this community that we're going after, this Acts chapter 2, biblical New Testament church, can I just tell you, it's not going to be perfect. There's not a church in the world that's perfect. There's not a person in the world that's perfect. Only the head of the church, Jesus, is perfect. But he's inviting us in, not to perfection, but into health and wholeness. We want to be a church that is healthy and whole. That's our goal. And health and wholeness only comes when we're open and honest with where we've been and who we are, when we're willing to forgive, extend it, receive it, ask for it. So this morning, I want to ask our prayer teams to make their way up here quickly, and they're just going to be available for you. These are our life group leaders, and if you've got something in your heart you're wrestling through, and maybe I've never been open and honest about this. I need to share it with someone. This is a safe place to do that. Or if you're saying, you know what? There's some forgiveness that I've been harboring. I need to let it go. I don't want to hold them on the hook anymore. Maybe you need to ask for it. Maybe you need to give it. I don't know where you are. Don't leave here. If God's doing something in your heart, if you're sensing something right now, don't leave here. Without come clean. There's no point. There's no point to walk out those doors hiding something. Come clean, come whole. It draws us closer together, not farther apart. So Jesus, we just ask that you would come and create wholeness and health and life. We just ask you to come and do your work. Wherever we are, if we need forgiveness, if we need to come clean with something to be open and honest, Lord, would you just minister to us in that place? Let this be a safe place to get that wholeness, to get that health. We pray in Jesus' name.